How are you now? Uh, how are you now? Tank Nation's got to be doing all right. I would think. Anyways, after a night like that, um, your Montreal Canadiens lose 4-2 to to the Boston Bruins. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and um, <clears throat> that was kind of an expected result. I'm losing my voice here already. But what was definitely not expected was how well the Habs actually managed to play in that game. I mean, they were the better team. You could make an argument taking a look at the statistics that they should have won that game. You can make an argument that they probably could have had five or six goals there, um, which, you know, of course <clears throat> they didn't, but if they did, yeah, they, they could have won that game. And uh, you can make a case that they should have won that game, but this is a tanking season. We want to see this team get the highest possible odds that they can get for Connor Bedard. And uh, this was a step in the right direction on that front. So you, 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 you got to take this one. As, as much as you got to take some of the wins that they got that they didn't deserve, you got to take the loss that they didn't necessarily deserve. So it is what it is. So let's do a quick recap. Might as well, right? And it wasn't a bad start for the Habs. Like I said, they were the better team for large parts of this game. And a few minutes into the game, they're up 3-1 in shots, but, you know, don't get used to it, right? They're looking good. They're looking great. But, like, five minutes into the game, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, <clears throat> man, I'm really losing my voice here. Five minutes into the game, Tyler Bertuzzi is behind the net, um, I, and I mean up against the boards behind the net. He's not just in a bad angle. He's literally behind the net on the boards, and he just kind of takes a whack at it. It goes off of Mike Matheson, who's kind of coming down to help out, uh, try and dig that puck out of the corner. He's tied up with Weidman. Goes off Mike Matheson, off Jake Allen, weird bounce, and it's in the net. <laughs> Um, kind of feels like one of those goals where the hockey gods just want you to lose that game. And it's one nothing for the Bruins just like that. Then we get a little bit of a penalty festival going on. Brad Marchand uh, goes after Rem Pitlick. Rem Pitlick got away with some interference on Patrice Bergeron. And uh, Marchand went right after him, uh, trying to fight him, had him down on the ice. Uh, they called Pitlick for roughing. They called Marchand, uh, I guess, a double for roughing. They didn't call the interference for whatever reason. And things just start kind of devolving from there. Everybody's taking penalties. And uh, the refs are also missing a lot of penalties. It just it got a little bit ugly there in the first period. And it would continue to be uh, ugly throughout the course of the game. But right at the end of a Habs power play, right? Right at the very tail end. I mean, I forget who it was. He just got out of the box. But then um, Jake DeBrusque gets an opportunity. And he splits the D. Right, he gets it in the neutral zone. He's coming across the blue line. Splits Joel Edmondson and David Savard, easy as pie. Just goes right through them. They run into each other and fall over each other. He walks in and beats Jake Allen, and now it's two nothing for the Bruins. Right after that, well, not right after it, but uh, pretty pretty soon after that, AJ Greer. <coughs> They're having a face-off in the neutral zone, and uh, him and Mike Hoffman are kind of jousting with each other a little bit with their sticks, and then Greer just cross-checks Mike Hoffman right in the face, in the mouth, brutal. Gets a five-minute major for that, and the Habs would eventually strike. Denis Gurianov towards the end of the period, beautiful feed from the right point all the way down to Nick Suzuki in the left circle. He gets a low one-timer on goal, and it gets through. Two to one is your score at the end of 20 minutes, but like I said... It, there was a lot of penalties in the first. I think if you, if you count the misconduct, which is technically 10 minutes, yeah, it counts for 10 minutes in a game of misconduct. I think it was like 23 penalty minutes. So even if you don't count the misconduct, I mean, half that, more than half that period was played with somebody in the box. 
and you feel like it's probably going to continue to get ugly because the refs are also missing a lot of shit going on behind the play. They're not doing a good job. Uh, Surprise, surprise. I don't like the officials once again. Anyways, we got to see if this thing gets any uglier in the second period. And less than three minutes in, we get a crazy save at one end by Jeremy Swayman. Again, the Habs are putting on a lot of pressure. They're looking quite good. But Jeremy Swayman makes a crazy save right after the whistle. They get an offensive zone draw, the Habs do. But the puck goes the other way, and David Pasternak scores on a one-timer in the high slot. 3-1 to one is the score for the Bruins. Hockey gods, man. That save by Swayman was... It, it was maybe 10% skill and 90% luck. It got popped up in the air and it happened to land right near the goal line. He covers it up. And then next thing you know, the Bruins have the puck in the Habs net hockey gods before that goal though, right before that goal happened, some of the ugliness happened as well. Zaboral cross-checked Pizzetta in the back of the neck while he was down, like shoved his face into the boards and got no call for that. But late in the frame though, Habs on the power play again. This time it's Mike Matheson at the point with it. Throws a perfect pass down to Kirby Doc on the back door. Easy one for Doc. It's 3-2. to two. That's your score at the end of 40. Habs doing actually quite a good job on the power play with those cross-seam passes coming down from the point. Uh, I was liking that movement a little bit from them. More on that at the end of the recap here. Uh, anyways, we go into the third period, and Habs are getting chances left, right, and center, but they just can't score. They've doubled up the Bruins in shots by midway of the third period. It's 30 to 15 in shots with about 11 minutes left in the frame. But none of that really matters. None of that matters. Swayman doing really well in net. Um, Allen, you can't really blame him at the other end. Some of those goals were fluky. Other ones were just really good high danger scoring chances that happened to go in. And guess what? Seven and a half minutes to play thereabouts. David Krejci gets left alone in the slot for whatever reason. David Savard decided to bail out. It was, it was his guy. That was his zone, if you will. And he just flies over to the half wall to go try and help out with a puck battle over there. And Krejci gets left alone. Rem, Rem Pitlick tried to come in and cover him, but he was a little bit late getting there. But he shouldn't have been there in the first place. It should have been David Savard covering that area. And Krejci goes to the backhand, beats Jake Allen, makes it 4-2. to two. Habs pull Allen with like two minutes left on the clock to try and get something. Denis Gurianov misses a wide open net. Jonathan Drouin got robbed by Swayman, and they can't get anything. 4-2 is your final. The Habs lose. Good for the tank, though. But I do have a bone to pick with the officiating there. You know, um, that could have got really out of hand. I think this is the type of game where, as a Habs fan, you really miss Arbor Jacki because I think some of those things that happen, I, I think maybe they don't if the sheriff is out there. I'm not sure that Zaboral is going to feel comfortable enough to cross-check uh, Michael Pizzetta in the back of the head while he's down if the sheriff's sitting on the bench. I'm not sure. Brad Marchand took a headshot at uh, the end of the second period with like no time on the clock through kind of a bump-back hit on Jake Evans and went at his head. I don't think he tries that if Arbor Jacki's on the ice. I'm not saying Arbor Jacki's going to go beat the shit out of Brad Marchand, but you know that presence it, it makes a bit of a difference. And the officials were letting everything go. They're not making the calls. Goes for Montreal too. I mean, you wonder why Brad Marchand went after um, Rem Pitlick the way that he did. It's because he got away with interference on Patrice Bergeron some of these things that can contribute to a game getting really out of hand there's what do you want the players to do what do you want them to do like i i'm i'm all for brad marchand slander whenever possible 
I can't really get mad at him for going after Rem Pitlick there because it's like, yeah, if the refs did their job, maybe he doesn't have to do that. But I think he looked around and he saw the refs weren't going to call shit anymore. All right, fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. This is what you get. You get games like that. Luckily, I don't think anybody got seriously hurt. Um, Mike Hoffman, he, he might have to miss a couple of games for all I know. Uh, I'm not entirely sure at this point. I record these right after the game, so I don't really get the opportunity to wait and see if there's any news. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But the officials did a absolutely piss-poor job in that game. Horrible. Are, are we surprised? No. But at the end of the day, that's your job. That's your job is to, to keep control of the game through the rules. Not to keep control of the fucking score like you always do but to keep control of the game through the use of the rules, the proper use of the rules, not allowing Bruins defensemen to tackle oncoming Canadians forwards at the end of the game with it when the Habs net is empty. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have changed the result, but you still got to make that call. Yeah, maybe you won't. Maybe you're an idiot. I don't know. I don't hire the refs. I wish I did. But I digress. Silver lining of the night. You got to pick one, right? I've had one pretty much every game this season. I don't think I've missed one yet. And in this game, I got to go with Mike Matheson. I'll give you more than one, but Mike Matheson, he's 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 in the top spot for this one. Uh, Mike Matheson looked fantastic. Obviously, he had that f- excellent pass. Just a beautiful feed from the point down to Kirby Dock. Um, you, you can't beat that. And then in the third period, he actually went on a little venture of his own into the offensive zone. He's coming along the wall on the right side, does a spinorama, gets in on goal, and just barely, just barely misses one. Uh, that would have been one of those forever highlights that you see on every highlight pack on TSN for the rest of your life when they do like greatest defenseman goals in the regular season or whatever. Like you're going to see that one on your TV over and over and over again. But he was just, he was that close. Um, man. I wish he would have scored it. Um, it. It probably wouldn't have changed the result. Uh, the Habs probably still lose that game because they, they really couldn't get much going with the with the net empty. And Swayman was robbing them even when they could. So, um, you know, what, what are you going to do? Mike Matheson, great game again. Uh, looking fantastic and looking like he could be a significant part of this rebuild. I'm excited to see what he can do when this team gets better around him. Uh, he's going to be fantastic. It's it's great news. They, they got some. Jeff Petrie everybody knew that you had to trade him he made it quite public that he wanted out of Montreal so the Habs didn't have a whole heck of a lot of leverage and they managed to get uh, Mike Matheson back for him I think you know pretty darn good trade when you look back at it in retrospect so far Um, and it can only get better if if I'm right about Mike Matheson and as the team gets better around him he gets to flourish even more look out this team could be scary on the blue line in a couple of years so good news and then your second silver lining of the night, I'm going to give that one again to Kirby Dock. I think he looked great in this game. Um, he, once again, when they were killing a penalty at one point, I think it was in the second period, He, him and Alex Belzil had a fantastic shift where Belzil uh, was able to force a turnover at the defensive blue line. They go down the other way, and then Dock takes the puck into the corner in the Bruins zone, and once again, he just freezes it there. He's got two Bruins trying to push him and dig it out, and they can't move him. He's a beast physically along the boards he's got soft hands around the net and he can dangle when he wants to too he's and he's he's what he's 21 years old 22 years old like this this is not 
a, a case of the Habs going after an established player to try and improve their roster. When they made that trade, they picked up a young guy that maybe was a little bit overlooked, maybe had a tough go in his first couple years in the league with a bad team, and he's turning it around now with the Habs. You get an opportunity to have you know, a player that was originally drafted third overall. There's a reason why he was drafted that high because obviously he had a lot of talent. You, know, you don't get up that high in the draft without having something going for you. And sometimes it doesn't work out. But in his case, I really think it was just a bad situation in Chicago. I think getting shoved on the fourth line night after night with shitty line mates, that's not the way that you're going to develop a quality player for your, for your top six. So, you know, the Habs, they've taken a different approach. He's been immediately thrust into a top six role he's had time on the wing with Suzuki and as I predicted last game you know that game with Suzuki on the wing was just him getting eased back into things after he came back from the injury they put him back at center uh, against the Bruins and he looked excellent when his line was on the ice they controlled 68.42 percent of the shot attempts pretty good pretty good you take a look at the scoring chance numbers gets even better it gets even better. They had 70% of the scoring chances. 70% of the scoring chances when they were on the ice. It's working. All right? Whatever they've done with him, it's working. And uh, you, you hope to see that continue because there's still room for him to become an even better player. He's already having a career year. Uh, he's managed to come back from injury without looking like he missed a beat. And, man, uh, you've you, you got to be excited for what the future holds if they can continue this trajectory of him getting better game after game. And then your last silver lining. So I'm going to give you a third one here. And uh, I talked about it during the recap. It's the power play. The power play seems like, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was pretty rough, right? I think everybody remembers the start of the year, they they couldn't do shit. And for a, a large part of the year, they really could not do jack shit on the power play. They seem to have turned a corner a little bit in the last 20 games or so where now they're getting a lot more cross-seam movement. In this game, they had two different, very similar goals that ended up getting scored on the power play with the puck coming down and across from the point. And it's interesting to me that they're finally finding creative ways to get that lateral movement out of the goaltender, to get lateral movement out of the uh, out of the defenders and, and move their box around a little bit to kind of manipulate those passing lanes. And it's working. Uh, the, the Bruins are not a slouch of a team when it comes to the penalty kill. I don't remember where they're ranked, and um, I mean I can go take a look at it, but it doesn't really matter. The point is you're getting the right puck movement where even if you're playing against a team that has a very good penalty kill, it's going to be hard for them to do a whole heck of a lot about it. That's how you get it done. That's how they've never been getting it done. In the past, it was always the same thing, right? It was get it back to the point and let one of your cannons go. First, it was Subban for a while, and then when they got Shea Weber in the trade for P.K. Subban, it started to be Shea Weber, and it was predictable. You knew where the puck was going to go. You knew why they wanted it to go there, and you knew what they were going to do with it once they got it there, and it was easy for teams to defend. They were basically just camping out on your shooters and trying to make sure that they didn't get the puck. We get Cole Caulfield in there, and it starts to look a little bit better with Cole Caulfield, but still, they're kind of lacking some of that lateral movement. Now we're seeing it. We're seeing it regularly. When they get Cole Caulfield back, when he comes back from his surgery next year, and you you hope as well that they're going to have better personnel, I think they're going to have... I'm not going to say they're going to be one of the best power plays in the league next year, all right? It's going to take a bit of a longer process for them to really get to a point where they're regularly scoring you know two power play goals in games but i think they could get 
somewhere, if, as long as they keep this going, they can get somewhere around middle of the pack. And a middle of the pack power play on the Habs. If they had a middle of the pack power play this year, they would not be in the bottom five. I'll tell you that much. Would they be in the playoffs? No, but not in the bottom five. They'd be closer to playoffs in the bottom five, I think. So if they can go into next year with a serviceable power play, middle of the pack, 15th in the league, I don't give a shit. And they can also have overall better personnel, graduate one or two guys at a junior or from the AHL. And uh, who knows what you get in the draft. You know, we've all got our fingers crossed for Connor Bedard. Man, this could be a much better team. We might have a heck of a lot more fun watching this team next year. We might get to see a lot more victories. I don't know if they can make the playoffs or not, but having a functional power play is a big part of getting there. So this is good news. Um, Hopefully they can just continue that, right? Take a look at what you're doing well and continue to do it. They're they're showing the replay on my TV right now of Gurianov's pass, man. Um, first of all, I was surprised to even see him up at the point, but like that's a really beautiful cross seam pass down right to the face off dot to Nick Suzuki. Keep doing that shit. That's how you do it, man. And when you get Cole Caulfield in that spot where Nick Suzuki just shot from, you know that puck's going in more often than it doesn't. Last thing I got to talk about uh, the tank. We got to talk about the tank, right? So there was a few tank adjacent games tonight that didn't involve the Montreal Canadiens obviously the Habs lost so we know that that's a good move for the tank Philadelphia who are just a little bit ahead of Montreal at this time they won in a shootout over Minnesota so that pushes them a little bit further away from the Habs they're now sitting at what uh 66 points and the Habs are at 62 so that keeps them four points clear of the Habs the Blues won as well so the St. Louis Blues won. They're now what? Six or eight points clear of the Habs? Eight points clear of the Habs. That's good. It's going to be very hard for the Blues to reverse catch the Habs at this point. And most importantly, the Toronto Maple Leafs beat the Florida Panthers. So Florida, that's another hamper in their effort to try and join the playoff race. Well, I mean, when I mean join the playoff race, they're in the playoff race to join the actual playoff picture. Now, they're still pretty close, so we need them to lose as many games as humanly possible from here out. But, hey, the Leafs did us a favor on this one, so we got to say thank you to Rono. Uh, we're going to take that one and run. So, pretty good tank night. It could get even better. Uh, I obviously can't stay up and uh, wait for those results to let you know. But uh, the Sharks are playing Vancouver, so um you kind of want that game to go to overtime i think because vancouver is not too far ahead of montreal right now i want to keep them uh moving forward and make sure that they can't reverse catch the habs um anaheim's playing winnipeg if anaheim could win that that would be big that would be definitely a help because then montreal might have a better chance of actually reverse catching anaheim it's always kind of weirdly sad when you're talking about reverse catching a team and, and trying to fall in the standings but there you have it that's kind of where we're at right now and Hopefully, if Anaheim can get a point or even two, and if uh, San Jose can get at least a point, hey, there's there's still a possibility the Habs could get even higher in that top five. So let's go Sharks. <laughs> let's, let's go Ducks. And um, we'll leave it at that. What are we running here today? We're running, uh, well, a little over 20 minutes by the time I'm finished my spiel here at the end. So c'est une soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Um, quick reminder. 
I'm still posting this on both channels, so I have it on the Bottom Six Minutes channel. I also have it on the Eyes on the Prize channel. Everybody, if you're listening now on the Bottom Six Minutes channel, whether that be on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, please do go and subscribe to the Eyes on the Prize channel. Eventually, I'm going to move everything over there. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.